1: It's easy to establish the fact that our nation is in moral crisis, but where do we find the answers? And once we have those answers, where do we start using them? Let's talk about that next. From Valley Bible Church here in Hercules, hi there and welcome. This is Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard has us in the middle of a series called A Nation in Moral Crisis. And today and tomorrow, we're focusing in on where we would start with the answers that we find in the gospel. As the heart goes, so goes the home. We need to begin with a circle around ourselves, right? Let's catch up with Pastor Phil and learn more. Here he is with today's broadcast of Truth For Today.
2: Turn, if you will, to Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. Notice this, it's generational. I want you to do this so that the next generation and the next generation Might fear the Lord your God. Turn back to chapter 4. Chapter 4. Look at verse 9. You there? 4, verse 9. Give heed to these things and make them known to your sons and your... Nobody's reading the Bible. What does it say? Talk. Talk to me. Come on, can you talk? And you're who? No, no, grandsons. Come on, wake up. We gave you coffee. Look at that verse. I want you to know this, because I want your sons and your grandsons to get it. And they're not going to get it if you don't get it, the parent. He goes on, I want you to fear me all the days of your life, verse 10, and that they may teach their sons, children, Uh, Verse 25. And when you become the father of children and children's children, and have remained long in the land, and he tells them what he wants them. He keeps thinking of the next generation, the next generation. Uh, Then we come over here, chapter 6. He's going to say this in chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 11. He keeps repeating it in Deuteronomy. What does Deuteronomy mean? Deutero nomos. The second giving of the law. They're getting ready. They've been marching for 40 years. Moses is ready to die. They're getting ready to move into a pagan, pagan Canaanite uh, sex worshiping culture. Polytheism. Immorality. It's It's a terrible place to raise a family. You're getting ready to come in. I'm giving you permission to drive the people out. But When you first go in there, you're going to face moral danger. You're going to face religious choices. Now I'm telling you, I'm giving you the law a second time, and I'm telling you what to do as you go in the land. Get ready. Now watch what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Why are you saying this? You're going into a land with many gods. I want you to get the Shema of Israel. This is the monotheistic statement of Israel's faith. Hear, O Israel, there is only one God, one Lord, Jehovah. Just one, not many. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Then he goes on to tell them when you enter this land, Prosperity is going to come upon you. Don't forget me with it. Many choices of God's will come before you. Be sure you stay true to me. It's Read the whole chapter. I'll stop there. Gibbons wrote a famous history of the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. And he summarized in his book five reasons why the Roman Empire caved in. Five take notes on these and see if you see any analogy to America. Number one, the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. Number one. Number two, higher and higher taxes. The spending of public money for free bread and circuses for the population. Three, the mad craze for pleasure. Sports becoming every year more exciting, more brutal, more immoral until you've got naked men fighting as gladiators in a coliseum with 60,000 people looking on. Fourth, the building of great armaments when the great enemy was within. The decay of individual responsibility. Five, the decay of religion, fading into a mere form, losing touch with life, losing power to guide the people. This is Edward Gibbons, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. I want us to look at three things from this Deuteronomy passage. Three things. I want to put them in the form of interrogative. Number one, is there anybody in your house That loves God with all their heart. Number two. Is there anybody in your house teaching the next generation? Three. Are your children being exposed to credible witnesses? Credible Christians. In your house. I'm not talking about in this church. I'm talking about where you live. Is there anybody there? Anybody. I got Carolyn, so I'm covered. That loves God with all their heart. Three things to review last week. Everybody has an epistemology. And it's a big fancy philosophical term. Everybody believes something. The issue is what has determined what you believe. What are the factors? What will make you believe anything? Uh, Empiricism was a big field of philosophy. Unless I see it, feel it. Empirical evidence, I won't believe it. Unless it's scientific, unless it's in a test tube, I won't believe it. Unless I see it, I don't believe it. Well, we've never seen your brain, but we give you credit for it. A lot of nonsense. If I had to explain electricity, I'd live in the dark. What about you? All I know is PG&E charges too much. But we've got to keep our retired guys well supplied him, him. I carry bitterness towards him. Um, but epistemology, what's determined what you believe? So many non-Bible Christians that don't know their Bible. They just pack it. It looks good. They pull it out once a week, but they don't know what it says, so they couldn't say the Bible maybe believe it. But we want to be convinced by the words of God, right? Yeah. Two, post-Christian culture. We are no longer having anything in the public arena that is formulated by Judeo-Christian ethics. Uh, there's n- we just don't buy that. Third thing, we're postmodern. And postmodern is a very fancy word that says we move from modern to postmodern. Did that help you? What was the modern consensus? The modern consensus basically was this. We are scientific... We won't believe anything that cannot be proven scientifically. But, but, though all their, they trusted human rationale, age of rationalism, they at least said you could give a propositional truth that was true for everybody. Postmodern said, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. There is no such thing as certainty, propositional truth, objective truth, Truth that is true no matter what I do. All truth now is determined by me. How I feel, how I think, my personal narrative story uh, of throw-up ad nauseum. Because I am the determiner of truth, and you may have truth in your world, I may have it in mine, but there is no absolute objective truth that we must all agree on. So this is the age of uncertainty, and something bigger than that, an age that says it is impossible to arrive at anything as being true. Now that's OK if it's in the culture. It's OK if Berkeley's that way, but it's now even in the church. We have many guys out there. It, it's your experience, it's subjectivity. It's, I feel, I think, I'm thinking it over. I'm, um, what, because they don't believe the They don't believe this is true. This will not determine the argument. So now, we want to see why I would even pick such a passage. The context. They're getting ready. They've been 40 years out of Egypt. 40 years, the giving of the law. 40 years of watching all their older generation die because of their unbelief at Kadesh Barnea. Now a younger generation that will be led by Joshua and Caleb. They're going to go in. Finally, they're going to mix with another culture. And he says this culture is going to seize and swallow your children alive. You're going into a culture that's immoral, that's anti- Yahweh. It's pagan. It's heathen. uh, It's many religions. You're going to be into syncretism. You're going to be bowing to many gods. You're going to be overwhelmed. There's no schools there. There's no synagogues. All you'll have when you go in the land will be your home. It will be the only guardian and protection for your children. You can't send them to a Christian school. You can't send them to the youth group. That's just mom and dad. And children. And so he tells them three things. To survive. Number one. Unless you love God. You've already lost the battle. You. Two. You can't just love God. You've got to pass it on. Not the youth group. Not your Christian school, you, parent, mom, dad, are you passing it on? Three, and I just throw this in from Timothy, do your kids only know the hypocrites in the church, or have they ever met a credible Christian? Number one, is there anybody in your house that loves God with all their heart? Look at the passage. You, verse 5, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. In the New Testament, they added all your mind. And notice, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be in your Bible. Oh, where? Heart. These words shall be in your heart. I'm not giving you a method on how to raise your kids yet. I'm just saying, can you impress your children with a God you don't love? No, no. You may not lead them to the Lord if you do love God, but you'll have a clear conscience and you'll enjoy God in the meantime. You're not saying here they'll all follow you. But the first place, the moral crisis of our country starts in our homes. Public schools have been out to lunch for a long time. What bothers me is I'm trying to find parents that I think the kids are being raised by a parent that is head over heels in love with God. You see, someone has said you either infect your children or you inoculate them. You either give them enough that they never get the real or you infect them to want the real. That they begin to run a temperature because they've been infected by you. Are there any infectious moms and dads out there? Now see, this is our older crowd. You're all saying, this isn't for me. I got mine raised. Well, good. Maybe you got grandchildren. Well, you ought at least be guilty. What? What goes on in a home that influences the next generation? The first thing he goes for is all I'm saying is Israel. Uh, I'm hoping you parents will love me with. Uh, remember, I'm the God of the Exodus. I hope you won't get tired of telling them that you were slaves. I, I hope you don't get tired of telling them about Pharaoh's hardships. I hope you don't get tired of telling them how God preserved me, Moses, in the Nile River, loaded with crocodile, and how a baby boy survives in bull rushes. I hope you don't get bored with telling your kids about how God rescued you and brought you from slavery to this land you're in. Because you're going to face dangers when you get there. One will be... Uh, prosperity. These are the dangers. You're going to be immediately prosperous. And for every man that stands up to uh, 10 men could survive adversity. More than one man can survive prosperity. Prosperity does terrible things to the human soul. That's why God has kept most of us on the edge most of our lives economically. There's not many He can trust with much. I was talking with my son-in-law the other day. Jason. Telling me how his single mother raised him. And. uh, I was playing him a song. I'm a wayfaring stranger. Traveling through this wearsome land. An old black spiritual from the south. I watched him as he closed his eyes and nearly began to weep. I said, son, son, what is there about the song that gets to you? He said, I miss black church. I said, why? He said, I could groan there. I can groan. I could weep. I could act like this world is full of groaning and sorrow. Then he said, I miss my own mama's prayers. I said, what did you miss about that? He said, well, my mama got saved when I was in the fourth grade. And after that time, men were in and out of our house. And I had a single mama raising me. But then she got saved in a little holiness church in the fourth grade. And after that, I never heard any woman pray. So said, she would take a towel. Not a handkerchief, but a towel. And go in the other bedroom and pray. And I could hear her praying, Lord, you've got to help me raise this boy. you got to help me raise this boy. He said, she wept. She pleaded for God to save me. I could hear her in the next room. I long for those kind of prayer meetings. No one prays that way anymore. I don't hardly hear... In a valley, then when I got a tear, don't get emotional. You know, we're not charismatic. No, we're just frozen. A lot lot of things worse than being charismatic, friends. You get saved among them. Having a cold heart. No heart for God. No intercessory prayer where you're pleading for the souls of family, loved ones, neighbors... And the kind of Christianity that says, my heart is his. I'm undivided. I'm not in love with this world. I'm in love with another world. And I'm trying to get people to that other world. Do your kids have any such memories of you? Are you the crank that lives at the house? Are you the one that fights over the remote control? Because you have to have all your programs. Or can they see you? My memory... There's an iron worker dad that came home at night, threw a metal hat down on the floor, woke everybody in the house. It's in the evening. It was nerve-wracking. Why he didn't just put it down, he threw it down. I'm the head of this house. And then in being up at 6.30 in the morning on Saturday and Sunday, when they ought to be sleeping in, they're climbing steel all week. But we could hear him shouting downstairs at 6.30 in the morning on Saturday. I've been out boogieing, going to rock and roll dance. Don't be waking us up on Saturday morning. But he's up and he's reading the Bible. Only had one eye. When you walk through that kitchen where he was reading, there ain't nobody, ain't no Howard kid going to survive without stopping and getting permission. Because he was talking to the living God, hearing his word, and he would crack a knot in your tail if you didn't stop. Now he, he was pre-Spock. He read Proverbs before he read Spock. Whatever, you better hear me, boy. I've talked to the living God. You don't dance through my kitchen when I'm reading about this God. Your home isn't that boy. Don't have the guts. Don't have the convictions. We're just nice give them everything they want memories we all have memories but he's telling them oh israel you're going to be swallowed up by the nations you're going to be swallowed up by other religions your boys and girls are going to be offered to moloch your kids are going to be sacrificed on the pagan altars of immorality and greed i'm telling you mom and dad You must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Or you won't do the rest of what I'm going to tell you. And if you love him with all your heart too. I want you to impress your children with it. My second question is. Are there any teachers of your children in your home? Look what he says. These words which I'm commanding you. Shall be on your heart. You shall Teach them diligently to your sons and so talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. The word here, teach them diligently, it's an interesting Hebrew word. The word diligently here, it was used of sharpening a sword or sharpening the arrowhead. And it literally meant to make sharp. It was used of a sharp tongue. And the idea, uh, let me give you the, the exact Hebrew word there. Uh, it came from a Hebrew word, sanan. And it was used of repetition. You sharpen it by repetition. Back and forth. Let's say on the grindstone, whatever. Or metal against metal. Sharpening it. And it was used of, again, repetition. Say it again. When he's saying teach them, it means repeatedly. Once over and over and over until you sharpen them. Like you would a sword, an arrow. Teach, repeat, teach, repeat, teach, repeat. Don't say it once. Say it till they get it memorized. Do this diligently to your children. That's the formal. You're going to get this. And then he said, let me tell you informally what you do. Once you get past family torture, I mean devotions, then you should sort of talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Well, when aren't you teaching? <laughs> Never.
1: We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today.